This is a Blast Box Media Podcast. Welcome to another exciting episode of The Business of Sound. My name is David Segura, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Glassbox Media, and also, importantly, the humble host of this podcast. As always, our goal is to provide you with an inside look into the world of podcasting and give you actionable tips and strategies to help you make the most of your podcast endeavor. Every month, we talk to experts, and we let them basically talk to us in exclusive interviews um, that are basically with the industry's leading voices. But before we get started, I wanted to ask you humbly to subscribe to the podcast. And if you have it in your heart, give us a five-star rating because that makes it that much easier to discover all the latest and greatest from the business of sound. I'm really excited to, as well today, to introduce Scott Johnson, the host of What Was That Like? We are very flattered that we're actually a partner of Scott's at here, here at Glassbox, and we've been able to do a lot of great things together. But it goes without saying, all the credit goes to him. Very excited for him to kind of delve into his show, explain what makes it special, and also explain like why he's been at it this long. In other words, Scott has actually been doing podcasting since 2012, and he launched this specific franchise in 2018. So I'm fascinated by his story, and I truly feel the audience will as well. So with that in mind, Scott, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Florida. Oh, yeah. I love being here. This, the Spotify studios are amazing. Isn't it? Yeah. And that's awesome. something I failed to mention, but big shout out to our friends at Spotify. Uh, Scott knows this, but they've been amazing partners, frankly, to us both. And we're actually broadcasting um, here in their studio in beautiful Brooklyn, New York. And so it's an amazing spot that they make available to creators and podcast execs. And they've been very much a friend to the podcast community. I was going to say in New York, but honestly, not even U.S., it's global. So amazing work. So with that in mind, Scott, I'm just kind of curious, just to hit you with it, like, what led you to start? Uh, what was that like? Well, um, I, I had been podcasting since 2012 on a separate podcast, and I, um, I found that when, I'm, when I was listening to podcasts, the, 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 ones, the, the episodes that I really enjoyed are the ones where someone was telling a story, and even more so if it was a true story. And it's, you know, there's a quote that they, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. Mm -hmm. And I just, I remember hearing a specific podcast episode from mm -hmm. a friend of mine and the story that he was telling was just so emotionally moving. Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, this is, this is really powerful. Mm -hmm. And I want to do that. And, but I found that when I looked around, there weren't really any other shows doing it, mm -hmm. at least not the way I would do it. So I already knew how to make a podcast. So I just said, okay, I'm going to do it myself. And that's where, that's where it started. That's amazing. And for those of you that haven't listened to this content yet, I could tell you if you start listening, not only would I be pleased, but beyond that, there's 300 other thousand listeners every month that are tuning in and that number's only going to grow from here. But Scott, I think one of the things that I think is really unique about your podcast is that a lot of times, at least in my opinion, you cover obviously very heavy subjects. Um, sometimes you were literally talking to people about maybe potentially the worst day in their life. Yet, when people ask me to kind of really describe it, I always say, in many ways, I feel it's inspirational. There's actually a very kind of positive, um, you know, emotion that like comes from like listening to the content. I guess what made you choose the subject matter that you did, and you know, how do you? I mean, not only conduct research, but sometimes 
kind of get through the interviews and the stories itself? It's not always easy, really. Um, I, you know, when I first started, I made a list of people that I want to talk to, you mm -hmm. know, like somebody that was struck by lightning or somebody that survived a mass shooting or, you know, stuff like that. And we don't cover all, not every episode is a really dark or tragedy or that kind mm -hmm. of thing, but a lot of them are. And you're right. Um, for a lot of these guests, it was the worst day in their life. Mm -hmm. And by telling that story on the show, they're kind of reliving it themselves, mm -hmm. which can be... It can be difficult. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I've had a lot of episodes where the guest is crying while they're mm -hmm. telling the story. Wow. And, but it's, to me, it's important not just to tell about that bad thing that happened, mm -hmm. but also to have some kind of a positive, um, uh, an end to mm -hmm. it. And in a lot of cases, the guest has taken that tragedy and they've mm -hmm. turned it into uh, a mission mm -hmm. uh, or a cause. So they're, really working and that's why they want to come on and tell the story mm -hmm. is because they want to promote this particular cause. I had a guest who um, his son died of an asthma attack. It was a 16 year old mm -hmm. son and within five minutes of telling that story this man was crying. Mm -hmm. Of course he just lost his son sure. and when we recorded it was only uh, about six weeks after it happened Wow. And I asked him specifically, I said, you know, is it too soon? Maybe we should, you know, give you some mm -hmm. time a little bit. But no, he wanted to do it then because when his son passed away, mm -hmm. his son was an organ donor. Mm -hmm. So by his death, he saved other people's lives. Wow. And so this man wanted to get the message out that to people to be an organ donor. Mm -hmm. So I try to find stories that are like that. So it's not just the tragedy, but it's mm -hmm. also hope going forward. Yeah, that's been the consistent arc that, you know, we've certainly observed on the show. And, you know, I guess one question people have is the production process, clearly how you research it. And I guess, how do you identify potential guests and relevant stories, you know, for yourself and, and your audience? Well, there's a, yeah, there's a few things that I, that I mm -hmm. go through. Um, I have a Facebook group with like almost 6,000 people in it. And so if I think a story is interesting, mm -hmm. that's one thing, but I want to make sure my listeners, it's something my listeners mm -hmm. want to hear. So I'll go in that group and take a poll. Like I say, you know, I've got a chance to interview this person. This is kind of what happened. Do you think you'd want to hear that? Mm -hmm. And they either say yes or no. And that's one factor, but I try to picture my subscribers, you know how when you subscribe to a podcast and you see the new episodes, I, I, I kind of cherry pick. I don't listen mm -hmm. to necessarily every episode of every show, but I want my listeners, when they're looking down their, their phones, looking at the, at the uh, new episodes, and they see a new episode that came up and they see the title, mm -hmm. I want that reaction to be, oh, wow, okay, I got to hear that story. Mm -hmm. And if that's the kind of if that's the kind of uh, response that mm -hmm. that title elicits, then I know it's going to be a good episode. That makes sense. And so you're obviously looking for a hook to draw you, um, you know, listeners in. You're going to provide them obviously with quality content, so no problem there. But do you also apply that same philosophy then to the show itself? Like in other words, don't really know the answer to this or what you think is best practice. But is there very early on once they do kind of like click to listen? Um, is there a hook early on in the content to kind of keep them there? Or what's your overall thought process once you actually kind of get them there? The, the very first hook is the mm -hmm. title of the episode. Mm -hmm. And I title every episode the same way. It's the guest's name and 
what happened. It doesn't necessarily tell the whole story in the title, Mm -hmm. but when you see a title like Diana Survived a Plane Crash Mm -hmm. or Whitney Was Shot 12 Times Mm -hmm. or Dan Was Mauled by a Grizzly Bear, Mm -hmm. that kind of gives you an idea of what you're in for. Um, I do have um, content warnings sometimes on some of them um, if they involve certain types of topics, but yeah, that's that's kind of the hook. And Mm -hmm. my main thing is I don't want to make people wait to mm-hmm. get to the story. Mm-hmm. You know, I that's one of kind of one of my pet peeves on when I'm mm-hmm. listening to podcasts is there's a lot of chatter or there's a lot of commercials mm-hmm. or you know, co-hosts talking, yeah, hey, what did you do this week and you know, that kind of thing. We I don't do any of that. Mm-hmm. Um it we just want to get right to the story. Mm-hmm. And I'm always thinking when I'm when I'm interviewing a guest, I'm always thinking, okay, we've got to either they're in the middle of it, and I'm just going to let them talk, mm-hmm. or we've got to kind of steer it back to, you know, if they go off on a tangent, we got sure. to steer it back to the actual story, because that's what people tuned in for. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. And, you know, at the end of the day, I guess you've got to respect that audience. Once you have a hook, you know, you have a great topic to talk about, you got to trust that obviously they're going to stick around. But I think getting right into it, the reason I'm droning on about that is that there's a lot of folks in the audience, I, I promise you, that struggle with that. In other words, even on the commercial side, you know, us being on the business end of things, we have to think really thoughtfully about, like, for example, how many pre-roll ads should run. Um, should they run near the top of the episode? Honestly, my short answer is yes, but I do think there is a risk that sometimes we underappreciate about maybe playing that before the host's voice. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, we want we don't want to do anything to kind of disrupt or annoy your basically dedicated fan base, which wants to hear directly from the host. Right. And so we get that. That's yeah, tough, absolutely. Though. And I think a lot of that is on the host. Mm-hmm. You've got to, if you're doing a host read ad, you've got to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. I was I was actually pleasantly surprised one time in, a, in my Facebook group, one of the listeners posted on their own that he said, you know, it's funny, this podcast is one of the few where I don't fast forward through the ads. Oh, wow. And, <laughs> And other people comment and say, yeah, same here. And, of course, I know some people do that. Of course. But, um, but you know, as a host, I want to make the ads as mm-hmm. interesting as well. They're not going to be quite as interesting as the story that we're sure. hearing. But, you know, it should be enough that people don't mind hearing them, you know. Yeah. And, you know, you as, like, the star of your own show, but also acting, frankly, as the producer as well, you know, you have to balance that. And there are commercial interests. So without going off on a long rant, I'll just say that, it's funny. Um, AVOD and Fast Channels, which means free and ad-supported channels, are really driving streaming right now. That's like kind of the hottest topic in media. And in a lot of ways, it's, it's like back to the future. In mm. other words, ads have always been like an integral part of the media creation process. So I think you hit the nail on the head. Easier said than done. Honestly, some hosts do struggle with that. And I don't mean that as even a critique. I just mean it's hard to balance like how do I basically you know serve my commercial interest but like position these these folks as like patrons of the show so it feels more natural so that the audience is more likely to give them a chance. It's not easy. So I guess with that in mind, after that long, <laughs> you know, preamble, what advice do you have for hosts that are kind of struggling with that? Because just to add some more context, would-be partners or even early partners of Glassbox have asked us, frankly, for their advice. They're trying to strike the right balance uh, in their own words, sometimes trying not to quote-unquote sell out. And they want to do well, but at the same time, they want to kind of protect the user experience. Do you have any advice mm-hmm. that maybe they can do to better manage that process? I am very protective of my audience. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm very picky about the stories that I do. There are mm-hmm. certain types of stories that I just don't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I, I look at it like when I'm writing, 
and or reading mm-hmm. um, a host-read ad, I want to put as much effort and um, perfection perfectionism into mm-hmm. that as I do in creating the episode itself. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I'm creating this episode, and it's free for everybody. Mm-hmm. But in that ad, I'm being paid to do that. Sure. And the sponsor wants the, you know, the absolute best read that they can get. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so I want something that, that sounds good, but also is effective mm-hmm. and that doesn't go on too long. You know, you've got a, there is a limit to what people will, uh, put up with as far as uh, number of ads or the length of ads. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm trying to keep all of those things in mind. And then I read it mm-hmm. the way I speak. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can do that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, a lot of times it does sound like you're, you're reading, mm-hmm. but I want to write it so that when I read it, it sounds like I'm just talking, like mm-hmm. I'm just ad-libbing. So if you can master that, that's, a, that's an important thing, I think, it's too. great advice, and God, it'd be so much more useful if I could remember what I read. Literally, I kid you not today, but there was someone in the podcast space, well-respected, and like their argument was not only to obviously make it sound natural, authentic, which is harder than it sounds, but still obvious. Mm-hmm. But they were like, don't do that radio voicing. In other words, if you sound like that, great. But try to keep it in the same tone, the same style as you do your content. You want people to know the difference, obviously, but he argued that if you're just looking at it from a purely performance perspective, it's better. And I have to admit, like, I'm a total amateur at this. I'm much more on, like, you know, the creator slash business side. But I enjoy doing this podcast, and I find myself not even purposely doing it trying to give spirited reads when I'm doing something, but transforming my voice in a way that people find kind of interesting, but I can tell just by the way they comment on it, they're like, huh, that doesn't really sound like you. And so in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, that's probably not a good thing then. But yeah, yeah. it's it's a deliberate thing. You've got to make mm-hmm. deliberate effort at it and, and be thinking about it because you're right. You know, when you're sitting here, you're reading something that you've written. There's a microphone in front of you. It, it almost it, it seems almost instinctive to transform into mm-hmm. that radio voice, you know, yeah. but you've just got a picture. I try to picture just sitting across from somebody mm-hmm. um, just talking about something, you know, um, something that I use that I uh, you know, that's if I'm reading a host red ad, that's mm-hmm. something that I use and I can I know I can personally endorse. Sure. And if you would tell a friend about it, that's really all you're doing in the ad mm-hmm. is just telling somebody about it. Yeah, I think that says it all. Um, I guess some of the other questions I have too, and I'm sure a lot of other folks in the audience do, not asking you to choose your favorite child essentially, but can you name a few of the more memorable or even some of your favorite episodes that you've done in the past? Well, I would say that one of my real recent episodes, mm-hmm. and I'm not going to give anything away about it, but just people can go look it up and, and listen to it. It's called Laura's Pain Became Her Purpose. Mm-hmm. Just read that. It is going to blow you away. I had so many people, so much feedback about that. And that's all I'm going to say about that okay. one. Just go find it. But yeah, I love I love episodes that actually affect people, mm-hmm. um, not just the guests, but the listeners as mm-hmm. well. I had back real early, this was like one of the first five or ten episodes, I talked with a man named Mark who mm-hmm. lived, in, he lives in Tampa, he's an attorney, and he donated his kidney mm-hmm. to a stranger. Mm-hmm. And so he talked about that whole process and what it was like, and mm-hmm. you know, and he actually was able to meet the person, mm-hmm. the recipient. And I've had people, this was five years ago now, mm-hmm. and I still have people 
sometimes, you know, when a, when a new listener discovers the show, mm-hmm. a lot of times they'll go and download all the past episodes because this, mm-hmm. uh, this content is, it's evergreen. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, it's timeless. And so they'll go back and they happen to listen to that episode about Mark donating his kidney. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people will email me and say, you know, I heard this and I'm going to donate a kidney. Oh, so, wow. and I mean, there's, there's people saving other people's lives because of hearing That's... this story. Doesn't I mean, get much better than that. Yeah. Let me ask you though. So, like, you shouldn't need. No one should need to justify like why doing something really good, especially saving someone's life. It doesn't require an explanation. But I have to admit, maybe that says more about me than it does anything else. <clears throat> Not family. It sounds like it's a stranger. What was that person's motivation to kind of step up and say, "I mean, I can help. I'm going to donate my kidney." Well, it's someone, Mark had thought about it in the mm-hmm. past, but mm-hmm. you know how a lot of times we'll think about doing something, that's really, that's a great thing. I should do that. I should mm-hmm. really think about that someday. Mm-hmm. But there was a bulletin board in, in his office. He, he's an attorney in mm-hmm. Tampa, and he, you know, there's a bulletin board, and somebody, a friend of an employee or somebody had posted up saying, hey, this guy needs a kidney. And, you know, a lot of people that are on the kidney waiting list mm-hmm. are on dialysis or there's just there's not enough people donating, mm-hmm. and they just end up dying. Wow. And so Mark saw that, and he knew he'd already thought about doing it at some point in the past, and he just decided to take action. Uh, he said, wow. "Okay, I've thought about it. This is like a sign. This is my this is my incentive. There's somebody here that needs it." And so he started investigating it. And you know, it's a process. You may mm-hmm. not be a match, but even if you're not a match to a particular person, you can donate to the waiting list mm-hmm. and still save somebody's life. And that was what he decided to do. Wow. It's amazing how something like that can happen and you just have the resolve just to kind of like, you know, step up immediately and get that done. Mm-hmm. So um, kudos out there to Mark, you know, if he's out there listening. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, another question I have too is that podcasting, as you know, is way more work than people think. From research to ideation to actually production, to editing, and then getting it out there, having it out in the world, a ton of work. But increasingly, it seems like one of the trends that we're seeing here at Glassbox is that people, either the podcast hosts themselves or media companies, frankly, are trying to figure out how to adapt that content into different formats. So in plain English, we get this question a lot, including from some of our listeners here at Business of Sound. People want kind of like their host take on, is it worthwhile or have you yourself considered doing live events, TV, you know, uh, book publishing. And especially with your background, I was kind of curious to, to see how you view that both in personal terms, but also as like a, you know, industry development, for mm-hmm. better or for worse. Yeah, I know a lot of shows have done that successfully. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not something that I've pursued mm-hmm. yet, but I certainly would be open to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a lot these are stories that, you know, you see on TV shows mm-hmm. about people who survived certain situations. This kind of story is something that people would gravitate to, and I've got over 150 of them. So, yeah, I'd be absolutely open to, to something like that. I do my, – my podcast is audio only, mm-hmm. but I do convert each one to a video mm-hmm. to put on my YouTube channel just because – just for discoverability, really. Sure. You know, people are on there and – and I don't really understand it, but a lot of people listen to podcasts on YouTube. <laughs> it's not the way I consume stuff, but uh, but you know you got you got to kind of try to be everywhere. Yeah, they have they have their fans, and they definitely do. Like for me personally, not to digress or get off topic, um, like I'll watch YouTube, including YouTube podcasts, but almost as like a replacement for TV. Um, part of the reason I love just audio podcasts is that you know in theory I can at least do multiple things at once. If something does move me or cap my attention, I'll stop. But that's the real appeal to podcasts for me. But the one thing that 
YouTube has taught everybody because it's really growing like a weed is that people are different, you know, to each their own and they're going to consume it how they like. And uh, it's always fascinating to kind of think about that. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. easy to assume the way I consume content is the way everybody does, but obviously that's not true. So, yeah, hmm. I think it's important. I'd agree. So this is a little bit of a comment slash question, and it might put you on the spot some, but I'm going to ask anyways. Oh, boy. Okay. And here's the reason. Literally just a week ago, we were talking to like a friend of the company, Brandon. He used to work at Oxford Road. And so for the people out there in the listening audience, Oxford Road is one of the world's largest audio agencies. They represent an amazing array of brands from Indeed to many others. And there are a lot of the people that decide like basically what podcasts will grow. And frankly, they determine what brands will grow, essentially, since podcasts are so important. Anyways, to get to the point, Brandon started out his career in music. And he's since moved on to basically take a lead role at a music agency and management company where obviously they're in the business of music. So one of their biggest revenue lines is tours. So just to get to the point, he really thinks that the future of, you know, whatever you want to call it, live events or music is really increasingly going to be podcast hosts. And he says it's up to people like him to intelligently think, what sort of arena or theater venue should we be booking in this city or that city? And so in other words, maybe for some, it could be the Madison Square Garden. Maybe for others, it's the Hulu Theater at MSG. But the main point is that he really does believe in the power of like getting people assembled and kind of experiencing like a special show or a live show in front of everyone. So with that in mind, I have to tell you, like I was like super pumped to hear that. Uh, you're probably not that surprised to know that that was my reaction. But the way he described it and kind of some of the examples that he gave us, uh, we were mind blown. So not a commitment. This is just like a brainstorm basically in real time. Mm-hmm. But what are your thoughts about that? Like if it made sense for you know, it's a tour, like – how would you feel about, you know, literally playing to thousands of people doing what you do? I don't know. I've got kind of mixed mixed emotions mm-hmm. about that. I don't mind it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, doing a story like this with a guest, mm-hmm. I don't know how the guest would feel about it. It's it kind of depends because, you know, the people that I have on my show are not people who are normally interviewed. Mm-hmm. They're not public speakers. Mm-hmm. You know, they just happen to have this one weird thing happen to them. And they're telling that story. Mm-hmm. So, actually, one of the one of the selling points in my case is the fact that we don't even record them on video. Mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, I can see the guest when we're sure. speaking because I use Squadcast. Mm-hmm. Um, we can see each other, but only the audio is recorded. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to worry about how they look. Half the time, they're sitting in their closet, mm-hmm. and you can see clothes behind them because <laughs> that's what you know for great yeah. audio. Um, so I don't know, bringing a person like that up on a stage and being in front of thousands of people and telling that story, especially one where, you know, it's it was a really traumatic thing for them yeah. to talk about. I don't know. I'm open to it, but I don't know if it would work or not. I get it. You know, the way my mind works, you know, I always explore things, even if it doesn't end up making sense. I'm one of those people who thinks exploring things is a good use of time, no matter what the answer is. I think in your case, very special circumstances. And then on the second part, another special circumstance, like, is the sensitivity to it. Do they want to? That's a big yes or no. And then the last part is, and I think you know this, whether we, whether they realize it or not, it's not easy. Um, I don't exactly get stage fright, but I actually might if I was in front of 5,000 people talking about an intimate topic. Mm-hmm. While you're a trained media professional, most people aren't. And that's kind of honestly what makes, I think, your show so compelling. So the short answer is maybe, but, you know, for what it's worth, you know, I've been to one or two of these quote-unquote concerts like led by podcast hosts 
and I just didn't get it at first. I just didn't wrap my mind around it. But after being there a few times, like it's been amazing. It just works. I can't explain why, but I know it when I feel it, and it was amazing. It does work, and mm-hmm. I think it especially works when the the show is has co-hosts. Mm-hmm. You know, people that can talk to each other rather than one singular host mm-hmm. having to carry the whole thing. I actually attended one of these mm-hmm. last night here in town. Oh, really? Which one? Yeah, um, it was the the podcast is called. Were you raised by wolves? Uh-huh. And they did this live show. It's their first live show ever. They did it at the New York Comedy Club, oh, and nice. the room was packed. They, you know, the beginning they said this was kind of an experiment. We didn't uh-huh. like if we said if we we're going to do this, is anybody even going to show up? But yeah, a lot of people showed up, uh-huh. and it was great. And they brought on three comedians. They did their their show format and everything, and it was the first live one they ever did, and it was a big success. Wow, from what I could tell, anyway. Um, I don't know that that would be the same yeah. for every podcast, but but I'm like you. I'm certainly open to yeah. investigating and exploring, you know, what might work. I'll take your word for it because, like, um, I, I know exactly where that is. Greenwich Village, it's iconic, it's a cool place, but not easy. And what I mean by that is that apart from just, like, being on stage, the audience is generally cool, uh, but it's still New York. And mm-hmm. if they don't like something, unfortunately, I will tell you, for those listening and wondering, is that other stereotypes about New York true? Kind of. Uh, they can be tough crowds. And so if something isn't going right, uh, they're going to let you know. Uh, they definitely appreciate, I think, like the audience there. There's actually a lot of working actors and comedians that actually attend. But I've been to a few of those shows, and I've seen kind of what happens when just something doesn't work. You try mm-hmm. it. That's the nature of the job. But, you know, when you bomb, it's not like tomatoes or rotten fruit or anything like that, but it's not so good. And, yeah. uh, you know, that, that's, that's tough sometimes. But I think if they made that work in an environment like that, I think, like, you know, theaters and other places might be that much easier. Yeah, and it was obvious at that show, the mm-hmm. one I went to last night, that most of the audience were already fans of that podcast. So mm-hmm. it was a very friendly environment. They're not going to, you know, be angry if something doesn't work right, or right. if a joke flops or something like that. So it's kind of funny, too. You know, when I'm recording, mm-hmm. I know logically in my head, okay, this what I'm saying right now is going to be heard by mm-hmm. 300,000, 400,000 people. And... Um, if I was in front of hundreds of thousands of people, I'd be a lot more nervous. Mm-hmm. But I know when I'm recording, if I screw up, I can say, okay, scratch that, going to start mm-hmm. over again. And so I don't feel any nerves at all. Plus, mm-hmm. I've got really complete notes in front of me sure. of the person's story so that I can kind of steer the conversation and that kind of thing. But yeah, being in a live environment, that's kind of a different thing. Yeah. yeah I can see that. That's amazing. Um, I guess with that in mind, too, um, as we start, as we move to wrap up, just wanted to open it up back to you. Is there anything that maybe we didn't cover that you'd love to share with um, the audience? Yeah. Um, as far as like stuff going forward, mm-hmm. um, projects and plans, I kind of look at every episode as a new project mm-hmm. and a plan that needs <laughs> to be exciting. That's one of my filters is, you know, is it going to be a really interesting thing mm-hmm. for the listeners to hear? But one thing that I'm kind of planning and I've done this once a while ago, but collaborating with another host and with the listeners. Mm-hmm. Like if there's another storytelling podcast and we can get together and create a, a Zoom call mm-hmm. and invite all the listeners of both shows to, to attend, mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, there's a crossover and people find out one show or they find out about the mm-hmm. other one and both of us promote it on our shows. Mm-hmm. Um I think that could be that could be a big thing, you know, and and it doesn't cost anything. I'd agree. Um, doing even more of those is something that we definitely want to encourage. Mm-hmm. I think there's obviously ways that we can be helpful, and uh, 
you know, it's ironic, but like the the easiest way to grow a podcast, never easy actually, but the best way is other podcasts. And that's something that we've seen consistently in Glassbox. We've experimented with a lot of other tactics, but consistently and ironically enough, unpaid kind of trades, barters, doing things of value for each other, not just with Glassbox podcasts, as you know, but honestly, even our so-called competitors. We're at a stage, I think, in the podcast industry where people honestly genuinely want to help. And I think the thought process is it's not really zero sum. Um, we don't have to succeed and thereby Pushkin or something fail. Um, basically, all of us can lift each other's boats. So love to hear that. That that's, works and yeah, it's consistent. That's yeah. the way I see it, too. You know, it's kind of funny. In most businesses, you think other shows would be competitors because, mm-hmm. you know, you can only listen to one show at a time, right? But, I mean, look at your podcast list, your yeah. podcast playlist. You know, there's a bunch of shows on there. Of course. And, you know, I don't know what the statistics are now, but half the half the country doesn't even listen to a podcast regularly yet. There's so mm-hmm. much room for growth. Uh, maybe it's not half. It might be might be less than that. But, um, yeah, I think any time I, I see other podcasts or other hosts as collaborators, not mm-hmm. competitors. And uh, I think that's it's something that's wonderful about this industry. No, I'd agree with that. Even on a kind of unrelated but related antidote, tonight you know, we're co-hosting an event with our friends at PodFest. Uh, they're doing kind of like a pop-up event in different cities, including now in New York where normally they do everything in Orlando. So long story short, um, great people, and we're going to have an amazing amount of like podcasters in there. Mm-hmm. Some of them are affiliated with companies like Paramount, for example. Some of them are independent podcasters that have no formal business relationship with Glassbox, but it's a community effort. And um, I've been very pleasantly surprised since we started this company um, at how uh, basically cooperative everyone is in the podcasting industry. And I'm comparing that to some of my other activities or investments both now and in the past, including TV and video. Definitely not the case. So, like, <laughs> it's been a nice change of pace. I'll put uh, it that a way. A refreshing surprise, huh? Yeah, seriously. I'll, refreshing is the operative word. But with that in mind, Scott, I just want to thank you again for taking the time. And I'm sure the audience is going to get a lot from this episode. As always, based on the questions we get, we'll be sure to pass it on to you. Uh, we'll share some of that feedback regardless whether they're questions or not, and we'll go from there. Absolutely. And I just want to say working with Glassbox has been wonderful. Uh, you guys are great, collaborative and uh, helpful in getting, the, you know, promoting the show, growing it. Um, it's just been a 100% positive experience. Thank you. We appreciate that so much. And we've enjoyed working with you as well, but always looking to do more. So hopefully that will come to pass more in the future. Yeah. Thank you. Um, with that in mind, just want to thank the audience again for listening to this week's episode of Business of Sound. Um, as always, this show is produced by Erica Miranda. And new episodes will be released at least once every Thursday a month, and if not, usually twice. And again, we humbly ask you to consider leaving us a five-star review and to subscribe to the show, but that choice is obviously yours. And we also ask you to follow Glassbox Media on both Instagram and LinkedIn to get information not only about this podcast, but the company. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.